0: Hello,
1: Texas. Glad you're with us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture from the piney woods of East Texas out to the Rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande
2: Valley. If you plan to use oxen herbicides in the upcoming season, there are some training sessions coming up that are pretty important. In fact, they're mandatory. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Ground pork retail
3: sales up. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the reasons why in my report on
0: Texas Ag Today.
4: February is kind of preparing for spring in Texas for gardening. We're going to talk more about that. Please join me, John Begno, as we talk about gardening tasks
5: for February.
1: We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. If you plan to use auxin herbicides in the upcoming season, there are some important training sessions coming up. James Hunt reports from the Texas High Plains.
2: In the Texas High Plains, the use of auxin herbicides is most commonly associated with cotton production. But anyone intending to use an auxin product this season needs to take advantage of one of the upcoming certification trainings that are being offered by the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. In fact, you can truly say participation is a must.
5: This is an EPA requirement that applicators take the dicamba training and Texas Department of Agriculture has added the requirement for not just dicamba, but for 2,4-D as well.
2: That's extension weed specialist, Peter Dotre, who says among the subjects to be covered in the one hour training sessions are principles for on-target pesticide application.
5: Nozzle selection, ground speed, boom height, being aware of wind speed and direction, I think one of the key things now is to focus on what is a temperature inversion and being aware of conditions when inversions are in place and, and just needing to avoid those particular conditions.
2: Dr. Dotre says he prefers making presentations face-to-face, but like many events during these days of the pandemic, the oxon herbicide trainings are being offered only online using the Zoom format.
5: I am happy that these virtual meetings are being held live. They're not pre-recorded sessions or modules, so there is hopefully that opportunity for a little bit of give and take, both during the presentation and after the
2: presentation. The next oxen specific certification training is coming up on Friday, February 12th, with other opportunities scheduled for March 12th, April 9th, and May 14th. Contact your local Extension office for more details. We'll have more from Dr. Dottre about oxen herbicides and these trainings tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: Texas cotton growers will have a new FiberMax cotton variety available for the 2021 crop. Kenny Melton is the Western Region Agronomic Manager for BASF. He says it's called FM 1730
6: GLTP one of the big things it's got very good root knot nematode tolerance we haven't had that level of nematode tolerance in any of that uh, Fibermax 1830 2334 background until now so that's a great addition to this germplasm we still have good verticillium wilt well tolerance it's still resistant to bacterial blight and it does have an excellent fiber package
1: Melton says it's a three gene variety.
6: It does have the TwinLink Plus in there, which the plus is our that's our three gene protection. So we have the Cry1, the Cry2, and then the Vip3A additionally in there for controlling worms. That's a big plus for us because we know there've been some issues with regard to two gene material as far as uh, some of the bullworms getting through that. But now with this three gene, there's no reported resistance to that uh, to the Vip3A. So you know we've got uh, got this great package. And that's especially important east of the High Plains. It's not as important for, you know, the far west and for uh, the High Plains to have that thir- third gene in there, but certainly when you drop off into the Rolling Plains and into uh, the rest of the state of Texas and then back to the east, that third gene is very important uh, for, for controlling uh, worms.
1: BASF also introduced two new Stoneville cotton seed varieties that should benefit Texas cotton growers. If you'd like more information, visit FiberMax.com or Stoneville.com. Good news for Texas pork producers. Ground pork retail sales are up sharply. Tom Nicoletti has more.
3: My guest today from Des Moines, Iowa is Angie Krieger. She is Vice President of for domestic marketing with the National Pork Board, and uh, Angie, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Tom. Since March of 2020, uh, you folks have been tracking uh, the fact that ground pork sales are up a whopping 24. Talk about that increase, and and why is that happening?
7: Consumer behaviors have changed a lot this year um, because of COVID, and ground pork has been a winner in that. In fact a lot of our pork categories have. We've been uh, we've been up in sales across the board as retail sales have been strong with more consumers dining at home. But this uh, ground pork thing is something we're watching really closely. Ground pork is a product that's had a lot of love from our producer community for many years. And so we're seeing consumers having a really great eating experience with ground pork. They're coming back to purchase it again.
3: So their eating uh, experiences, uh, consumers eating habits certainly have changed across the country with the coronavirus pandemic. So from that standpoint, uh, you folks are seeing more ground pork sales and uh, do you foresee this continuing even beyond uh, COVID-19?
7: Yeah, we definitely we definitely do. Some of the things that we've looked at around ground pork, again, just studying it to see how we can understand to get it to where it's part of the consumer shopping list. That's the goal, is for us to be on that list of 15 to 20 items that consumers need every week. 45% of ground pork shoppers weren't buying ground pork prior to... COVID. So we know that people were looking for new ideas. And um, as we looked at some of the search engines, so Google is something we look at a lot, we just saw people searching a lot more for ground pork as part of specific recipes. And so we're talking to retailers about uh, making sure they understand where to put ground pork in their stores providing consumers then with additional recipe ideas so they keep coming back for that product. And when they enjoy ground pork, we we know that they'll see the flavor and buy other pork products as well.
3: Angie, highlight one of those recipes for us.
7: Yeah, um, egg roll in a bowl has been incredibly popular. So that is um, the most mentioned when we surveyed consumers about specific recipes they were looking for. And uh, the Google search for that term was up over a thousand percent in the last year. And it's a it's a recipe that um, is quite common in, in the keto diet. So a low carb kind of diet. And it actually is very delicious. It's a family favorite.
1: I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Winter temperatures are on the way this week, but it's not too early to be preparing for spring gardening here in Texas. Horticulturalist John Begno has some insight from San Angelo.
4: Well, February is a month in Texas that can be cold or it can be as spring-like as it, maybe even sometimes summer-like as it can ever be. But so we do a lot of preparation work in February. It's a prime time to finish up our pruning. If you haven't done all your pruning or got on somebody's list to to do tree pruning, you can do that. Shrub pruning as well. We like to delay our evergreen pruning until February and March because you don't have to look at the ugliness that it might leave after you, let's say, over prune to get plants back inbound and et cetera. So it's a lot of good times to do that. You also do cleanup work. Those perennials that have been around that uh, are still standing that are brown, cannas, you think of old lantanas, a lot of plants that you might have, the grasses are a good example, that you might have just left and, and allowed to go ahead and, and become ugly, you, you're going to clean them up. And now is the time that we do that. So you can compost that, you can get the rest of your leaves up, you can get things spruced up for spring, and once you take a good look, Then you start doing the planning process, whether it's a planning for vegetable gardening, which we're doing right now because we're getting our beds prepped. It won't be, but for most of Texas, a month to six weeks before we'll be putting vegetable plants in the ground. We're also doing planning for things that are going to improve our landscapes. Think about Oasis. For instance, this time last year, we were Not quite into lockdown, but we were getting there and people spent a lot of time at home. They also were allowed to go to nurseries after a while and what a boom in the industry because we decided we wanted to spruce things up to look a little better. And we created many times these outdoor oasis. You know, if you don't cook outdoors, there's no reason to have an outdoor kitchen. But if you read outdoors or your grandkids love to play and they're coming to visit you more, there are things that you can tweak in your landscape that make it more appealing to everybody. And don't forget those little oasis areas. It might be a little water feature. It might be statuary All of those things and the planning process begins now and the availability of plants will arrive shortly. This is John Begno reporting from San Angelo.
1: Farm bankruptcies declined in 2020, but that doesn't necessarily mean the outlook for agriculture is improving. Michael Clements reports from Washington.
3: Chapter 12 farm bankruptcy filings in 2020 were the third highest over the last decade, despite a decline in 2020, according to American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist John Newton.
8: For 2020, we had 552 Chapter 12 family farm bankruptcies, that was down about 7% from what we saw in 2019, 43 filings less than last year.
3: Newton says the agriculture sector is not out of the woods yet. Chapter 12 bankruptcy is often the last option for farmers and ranchers. It's
8: not something that folks make lightly, and it's not something that happens just with one bad year. We've had several years of low commodity prices, and while things have turned around this year, I doubt that the improvements this year saved anybody from ultimately having to make that unfortunate decision to seek Chapter 12. Reorganization.
3: Newton says there are other factors that may impact the data.
8: This whole year, nearly, we've been in a remote work environment. And when you look across all the chapters of the bankruptcy code, we saw 230,000 fewer filings than last year. So that tells me that the reduction in bankruptcies might be attributable to the difficulty trying to file a case remotely. The struggles continue. Delinquency rates on commercial loans, they were up more than 5% compared to year-ago levels. And then we also saw USDA recently issue new guidelines on farmer loans to help those folks that are distressed delay repayment.
3: Read more on the market intel page at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington.
9: The coronavirus pandemic is affecting how wildlife specialists keep track of at least one endangered species. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today.
1: And keeping the outdoor critters out of your home here this winter could put your pets in danger. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how coming up next right here on Texas Ag Today.
6: National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm Doster Harper, president of the National FFA Organization, and I'm from the state of Georgia. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week.
0: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The wintertime
1: is when the mice and all the other little critters try to get out of the cold weather, and that means they try to make their way into your house. But some of the products you use to try to keep them out of your house could be dangerous to your pets. Veterinarian Dr. Bob
10: Judd has more. It is important to know there are basically three kinds of rat poison available. The older type of rat poison is a chemical that is an anticoagulant and when ingested by the rodent leads to bleeding and death. Second generation anticoagulants are common and are more toxic to rodents but are also more toxic to pets that ingest them. Another common type of rodenticide is bromethalin, and it is even more toxic to rodents and other animals than the anticoagulant type products. Colecalciferol is a third type of rodenticide and ingestion requires close hospital monitoring of the calcium and phosphorus levels and kidney function. These products may look the same, so it is impossible to tell the type of a poison the pet ingest without the box, and the treatment is very different. Due to the toxicity of these chemicals, it is better to not use them on your property and use other methods of rodent control. However, if you do use rodenticides, always keep the box, so you will know how many baits were present in the box and the type poison that the bait contains. If the poison ingested by a pet is the anticoagulant type, many animals will respond to treatment with vitamin K. There is unfortunately no antidote if the pet ingests bromothaline or cholecalciferol poison. If you know the poison was ingested within the last two hours, your vet can give your pet medication to induce vomiting, regardless of the type of rat poison, and save a lot of pets' lives. So if you use rodenticides, always keep the box and label and document how many baits you place in a certain area. So if you suspect toxicity, you will know the type of poison and the amount ingested. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The coronavirus pandemic
1: is affecting how wildlife specialists keep track of at least one endangered species. Jessica Domel tells how in today's Wildlife Report.
9: The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will not conduct aerial surveys of the whooping crane population wintering on the Texas coast this year. Wade Harrell, the FWS Whooping Crane Recovery Coordinator, explains.
11: The way we go about the winter survey is through aerial flights in small planes at low altitudes, and we have as many as three to four personnel in a small plane in close quarters for fairly long periods of time. And we thought through a lot of potential mitigation options and really couldn't come up with a way that we felt was as safe as we'd like, so we made the unfortunate decision to forego the survey for this year and hopefully be ready to return next winter.
9: The May and August whooping crane surveys conducted in Canada were also canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. Harold said although these surveys have been canceled, there are still other ways that U.S. Fish and Wildlife can keep up with the endangered whooping cranes
11: it will not be the exact same type of data. We won't be able to derive an abundance estimate from the flock or population this winter, but uh, we are trying to keep close tabs on the birds that are here this winter by using a, a few different techniques we have. One are reports that we get from the public through Texas Whooper Watch, as well as one of our long-term partners, the uh, International Crane Foundation, is launching a new application that we're testing with a few citizen scientists to report banded birds, and that recycle effort over time helps us understand the changes in the population. And then we also continue to ban birds through our telemetry work, and that work is ongoing this winter.
9: That was Wade Harrell, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's Whooping Crane Recovery Coordinator. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domal.
1: Another mixed day of trading in the cattle complex, live cattle finishing mix with feeder cattle mostly lower. However, the cotton and grain markets really took off to the upside to kick off the week. We'll take a look at all of Monday's closing livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
7: National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Anna Mathis from Arkansas. Because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, the FFA impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week.
0: We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today.
1: It was another mixed day of trading for live cattle futures on Monday. We ended up closing mixed with February down 15, 116.57. The April up 17 cents, 123.95. June live cattle up a nickel, 120.02. The grain markets were sharply higher, and that put more pressure on the feeder cattle market. March feeders down 82, 137.45. April feeder cattle down 72 cents, 141.47. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Monday. We wrapped up last week selling cattle as high as 114. That's a dollar higher than the previous week. That's, of course, a live price. Dressed prices up to 180. That's two to three dollars higher on the rail. Boxed beef prices mixed Monday. Choice up one36 dollar thirty six, two thirty five ninety four. Select down ninety-seven at two nineteen eighty-two.
6: Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. Neighbor, when there's cattle in the alleyway, we talk about the sale at Producers and Cargile San Angelo on Thursday. Jody Fry is on the line. Jody, how'd that domino game shake out? I had a
12: good many cattle more than last week at 1740 today. Calling the lighter weight cattle, the stocker calves, 3 to $5 higher. Your heavyweight feeder cattle, uh, those headed to the feed yard, kind of selling $1 to $3 higher. Slaughter cows and bulls, $1 to $2 higher. Red cows and pears, fully steady to slightly higher on those. Better quality steers, 4600 pounds from $130 all the way up to a high of $190, mostly $135 to $160. Steers weighing 6 to pound better quality steers from 110 to a high of up over a dollar 50 mostly 120 to 135 better quality heifer kids weighing 4600 pounds from 115 up to a high of 160 mostly 125 to 140 slaughter cows average to high yielding from 48 to 56 did have some of the highest yielding slaughter cows 58 to 64 still some of the thinner and lower yielding type cows from 30 to 45 slaughter bulls average to high yielding from 66 to 84 some of the highest yielding slaughter bulls from 86 all the way up to a high of 98 bred cows and heavy bred two-year-old's just a few of those on offer, but average to better quality uh, in the heavy breads, anywhere from 825 to a high of 1125 per head.
6: What are you thinking for a cattle and sheep and goat sales this next week?
12: Well, like we was talking earlier, it looks like weather will dictate, uh, especially the cattle numbers. They're pushing the front further back, so we should be good to get in some sheep and goats over the weekend and on Monday uh, have a decent sale. Hopefully, four to five thousand head for Tuesday sheep and goat sale. We've got that special consignment of cow-calf pairs that'll be coming in Monday uh, for our special cow sale next Thursday in conjunction with the regular Thursday sale.
6: Jody Fry, tell everybody how to contact you.
12: Third office. At 325 653 3371. My mobile phone would be 234 7895.
6: Neighbor, you've been listening to Walking the Pins with Jody Fry from Producers and Cargyle, San Angelo. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Larry Marble. Back over to the futures market now, where lean
1: hogs closed higher Monday, February up $1.20, April hogs up $35, 80, 65 Class 3 milk was lower, February milk down a nickel, fifteen fifty nine. March milk down 18 cents, 1651 100 weight. Big triple digit gains in the cotton market once again on Monday. A lot of speculators coming back into this market. We're expecting to see a smaller 2020 crop in Tuesday's USDA supply and demand report. So that has brought a lot of traders back into the market, pushing prices up higher. We closed with March cotton up 154 points, 84.28. May cotton up 158 at 85.60 new crop december cotton up 148 points 82.12 cents we're looking for some cold weather coming up over the next week and that is helping to support wheat prices question becomes what is that cold weather going to do to the wheat crop july kansas city wheat up 13 and a half 644 and 3 quarters july chicago wheat up 11 cents 643 the corn market saw a nice jump also march corn up 15 and a quarter 563 and three quarters. September corn up seven and a half, 485 and three quarters. In the energy markets, March natural gas up two cents, 288. March crude oil up $1.05, 57.90 a barrel. The financial markets higher, the Dow Jones industrial average up 182 points, 31,330. The NASDAQ up 98, 13,954. The SP 500 up 20, 3,907. Well that wraps up our look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in
0: Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin, hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, Check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or dfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.